This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 134, Solo. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. At some level, we all want to be the lone wolf, prove ourselves as individuals. That's not all bad, but it's not all good either. This week on the podcast, we will discuss the relationship between musical groups and their members who go solo and what that has to do with the church, the ethos of Jack Reacher, who does not resemble Tom Cruise in the slightest, how an English woman is changing the way I think about trumpeters, and why I continue to let a terrific solo game languish on the shelf. Let's start with what I've been preaching. BJ Sipe is a recent addition to my collection of online friends, people who I have never met in the flesh and perhaps never will, but yet are a tremendous blessing to me because of our online relationship. BJ hosts a podcast called Set Your Mind Above, and I highly commend it to you. It's one of those things where he takes a little snippet of everyday life and applies it to spiritual matters, absolutely down my main street. In a recent episode, he made a point, and I reached out to BJ, and I said, when I get around to stealing this from you, I will give you proper attribution. And it didn't take very long for me to do it. So BJ, consider yourself notified where you are. The point was about a voice that he had heard, a musician, a singer, that he thought he recognized, but he couldn't quite place it. And he did a little bit of research. He didn't recognize the name. But eventually, he found out that the musician was the lead singer of another group that he liked very much. And so this was an opportunity for him to broaden himself a little bit and look at the way that this artist was performing as a solo artist, as opposed to the work that he had done as a member of a group. And the comment was that there is a natural delineation between the solo work and the group work. That's by the nature of things. It has to be that way. Why break off as a solo artist if you're just going to continue to do the same kind of thing? And by the way, BJ, I don't recognize the group. I don't recognize the artist. I'm not going to seek out either of them. This is what listening to music in your 50s is all about. We have all the musicians that we're interested in. We're not interested in finding out any others that might be out there. One of these days, you'll find out what I'm talking about. At any rate, the point that he was making was mainly regarding the difference between individual work and work as a member of the body of Christ. When we as individual Christians operate within the framework of a local congregation, there is a natural overlap, just like the music of an individual musician would resemble the music of the group that he was originally part of. That's natural. It's the same person. You would expect there to be a considerable similarity between the two, but you would also expect that there would be a difference. And such is the case with regard to individual work and church work. It would stand to reason that individual work as a Christian would resemble the work that we do as a congregation of God's people. But there is no need for us to assume that they are absolutely the same. In fact, there is every reason to believe that they will be different in some way. The passage I usually go to with reference to this is 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16, where Paul writes, If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Here is a clear contrast between individual responsibility and church responsibility. Both of these fall under the general heading of benevolence. We as individuals have a benevolent responsibility. The Lord's church has an obligation with regard to benevolence as well. 
There is overlap there, but that does not mean that the one equals the other. In fact, in this particular situation, we are told specifically that they are not the same. Let not the church be burdened. If you have a widow in your family who you are able to help, then you help that person. That's your individual responsibility. It does not become the church's responsibility simply because you are part of the church. And more to the point, it does not cease to become your responsibility when you are part of the church. And so, therefore, we cannot assume that a passage that is written addressing the obligations of an individual can be applied to the congregation and vice versa. This is important because many passages in the New Testament address the individual responsibility for benevolence, being a good neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself, all kinds of applications where we give to those who are in need. And some have tried to say, well, since we are all individuals and the church is composed entirely of individuals who have this responsibility, why can't we let the church do our support for us? That is not a fair treatment of the text. There are individual responsibilities. There are church responsibilities. Yes, they overlap, but they are not the same thing. Not necessarily the same thing. And 1 Timothy 5.16 proves that. If we know that they can be different, we cannot assume that they are not different. James chapter 1, verse 27 is oftentimes kicked around with regard to this, that pure and undefiled religion is helping the widows and orphans in their affliction and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. Now, people want to leave off that last phrase there and say, well, pure and undefiled religion is helping widows and orphans, and therefore the church needs to be writing checks out of the church treasury to help people who are widows and orphans. That's a misuse of the text. That's not what the verse says. That's talking about individual responsibility, and you don't have to leave the verse to show that it's talking about individual responsibility. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's what I do. Understand what the Lord is teaching the individual. Understand what the Lord is teaching the church, and do both of those things. It's a mistake. It is an abrogation of responsibility to subcontract our individual duties out to the church. Just because I'm willing to put $20 in the church treasury, that does not mean that I don't have to evangelize my neighborhood. I don't have to be benevolent to those who are needy or anything like that. The church is going to do that for me. That's lazy Christian behavior. God expects better of us than that. Thanks, BJ, for reminding me. This is what I've been reading. These days, my favorite fiction writer probably is Lee Child, my favorite active writer anyway. Lee Child has a series of books with a protagonist named Jack Reacher, a couple of which have been turned into major motion pictures. Jack Reacher is this hulk of a man, 6'5", 240 pounds, who goes from place to place, finding trouble, getting out of it. Now, some of you may be thinking, I thought I knew who Hal was talking about. Jack Reacher sounded familiar, but what I know is a movie character that is played by Tom Cruise, and he is hardly 6'5", 240. No, that's the guy. And Tom Cruise, I think, does a fairly good job of playing him, but the physical type is way, way off. Obviously, Tom Cruise is not 6'5", 240 by any stretch of the imagination. But the same basic ethical code that characterizes Jack Reacher in the movies comes straight out of the books. He answers to no one. He has no roots, no ties. He makes no relationships. He makes no plans. He just gets on a bus or sticks his thumb out on the freeway, and finds out where he's going to go by, where the wind takes him. And there is something about that that is appealing, I think, to all of us. I think that we 
are drawn to that kind of character because we know we can never be that kind of character. Someone who doesn't answer to anybody, who has no alliances, no ties. You just go wherever you feel like going. But we don't do that, of course, because we have obligations, because we have responsibilities. Most of us come to grips with reality at some point. We realize that we are part of a society. We are part of associations, smaller associations within that society. We don't really want to be alone. We don't really want to be completely isolated. And so we will accept our relationships and we will accept the obligations and the restrictions that come with those obligations. As enticing as it may seem for us to act like the lone wolf, we realize that can't be the case. And it is we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ, we understand more and more that that is not the case and cannot be the case. It may be easy, it may be enticing, it may be exciting to just kind of drop everything and go, but ultimately we realize we cannot opt out of human society. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, that Jesus does not call us out of the world in a physical sense. One of these days he will, and we're looking forward to the day. But in the meantime, he's left us here among sinful people in a sinful world. And we are to be lights in the world. We are to be salt in the earth while we're here. We can't do that if we're up on some kind of mountaintop somewhere sequestered from all human activity. He doesn't want us isolated. He wants us involved in the lives of our neighbors so that we can have a positive impact and so we can bring them over into the light. As often as not, what happens is the exact opposite. We are pulled into the darkness, and that's unfortunate. But if we can hold to our strength, if we can hold to our commitment to Jesus, we can be a positive influence on others. And we can't opt out of family relationships either. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 tells us the one who does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. Part of our relationship with Jesus is accepting all of our responsibilities, including parental and other familial responsibilities, responsibilities to mom and dad, responsibilities to our our siblings even perhaps, certainly responsibilities to wives, husbands, and children. To wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of this. I think this is unreasonably restricting on my own personal behavior, my own personal life goals. I didn't see myself going this way. I feel really bad for the people I'm leaving behind, but you know what? I I just need to do what's good for me right now. Abandoning family like that and certainly killing unborn children is completely and totally out of line. We have to accept the responsibilities that are given to us by life. Not always by our choice, by the way. Sometimes these responsibilities are thrust upon us. But that's what it means to be a human being. We accept these responsibilities. We do our best in them, serving one another as we serve Christ. The same thing goes with church society also. And, And I've seen more and more of this in the COVID era, people who feel like they don't have anything to offer to the church, which is basically translated, I don't want to offer anything to the church. I'm doing pretty good sitting here, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts. I'm getting really all that I need in that way. I'll have my own prayer life. I'll have my own Bible study life. I don't really need to be part of a local church. Yes, you do need to be part of a local church because Jesus says you need to be part of a local church. We are all individually members of the one body, the text says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. That's the way it works here. That is the way Jesus has set it up. We are interwoven with one another. We work together, not always intentionally and deliberately together, but we are part of one another. We are individual lively stones in this temple that's being built up to the glory of God in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
And I think that you're going to find as you operate in that relationship that you have more to gain from your brethren than you realized. Maybe you're complacent in your own solo activity and you don't want to grow. You don't feel like growing. But being part of our association as Christians, being part of local churches, that brings out the best in us and strengthens us and empowers us. It's not all about our own personal preferences. In fact, very little of our walk with Christ is about our personal preferences. It's about the responsibilities that we have to one another and to the Lord, of course, ultimately. We are servants of Christ. Does the word servant imply to you some kind of freedom to do whatever you feel like doing? Is that the way that we're used to looking at servants or slaves? No, Jesus places responsibilities on us, and they are blessings to us. They will serve our long-term interests. We will be better off because we do these things, but they are responsibilities, and we need to learn how to own up to them. Instead of quitting on these responsibilities, let's find ways to add value to those responsibilities, to add value to those relationships, make our churches better churches, make our families better families, make our neighborhoods better neighborhoods. In this way, we can show the light of Christ not only in our own life, but also encourage it to grow and flourish in the lives of others. This is what I've been hearing. As the father of two band kids and the husband of a third, I can speak with a certain degree of secondhand experience when I say that the stereotypes you hear about band kids are rooted in deep, historical, and unchallengeable fact. Flute players tend to be cute little sorority sisters in training. Clarinetists are more than a little geeky. Drummers are show-offs. Trombone players very well may be on drugs. And by the way, in case you're wondering, I played violin in the orchestra, and violins are the ones that are too geeky to get into band. Stereotypes have innumerable exceptions, no question about that. But they are rooted in truth. They come from someplace, after all. Paul writes to Titus, referring to the people that Titus was working with there on the island of Crete. Titus chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13, one of themselves, that is one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, going into the verse, part of verse number 13. And some have valiantly tried to say what Paul is saying here is, we've heard that this was said about Cretans, and I'm telling you from some experience in Crete that this is actually being said about Cretans. I don't think that's what Paul means here. I think Paul is saying these stereotypes came out of a real truth of what's going on in the island of Crete. These people tend very strongly to be this way. Now, you don't want to get so carried away with your stereotypes that you lose the individual nature of humans, that you start jumping to conclusions, judging people's character by where they came from or what skin color they have or any such thing as that. We don't want to go to that extreme. But certain cultures do develop certain attributes, and certain people are drawn to certain cultures because they already have certain attributes. Again, plenty of exceptions to this, but it does tend to happen. And the culture of trumpet players is that they are loudmouths. They are show-offs. Where do you think the word blowhard came from, after all? They are the loudest voices in the room. They know it, and they tend to take advantage of it. That's the stereotype about trumpet players. I bring up the idea of stereotypes, and particularly trumpet players, because I've been listening to a lot of Alison Balsam. 
Alison Balsam is a British trumpet player extraordinaire. And I'm sure that she is characteristic of trumpet players at the top level rather than the exception. Nevertheless, she's the one I've been listening to. And as I have been loath in the extreme to listen to trumpet music or trumpet solos, I've been taking great pains to avoid it. I don't do it anymore. Certainly not Alison Balsam trumpet solos. She has a way about her music that uses her skill, her unquestioned skill, not just to show off how great a player she is, but also to make her surroundings better, to make instrumentalists around her, the orchestra around her, look better. It is a cooperative effort with one person in the lead. And that is a very delicate balance sometimes to strike. Jesus asks us to strike this. He tells us in one breath to let our light be seen by men, put our lamp up on a lampstand so that people can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, Matthew 5 or 16. And then in the next breath, he says, don't do your deeds to be seen of men in Matthew 6 and verse 1. How do we do that? How are we public with our faith? How are we public with our abilities, our skills, and yet modest, and yet part of a group? I'm not sure there is any kind of magic formula other than to acknowledge that the people who are outstanding in their expertise, whatever that expertise is, need to show that excellence in such a way as to benefit the whole and glorify our Heavenly Father. The excellence that you or I may possess in some particular area needs to be used for the greater good. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, that all things are supposed to be done for edification. And in this context, he's talking about spiritual gifts primarily. And when I say spiritual gifts, we're talking about supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Some were being moved to speak in tongues. Some were being moved to interpret tongues. Some had words of wisdom. God was working in the lives of individual Christians to show his power, to show his involvement in the lives of his people. And there was a very natural tendency for people with certain gifts to exalt themselves, to think that they were better than anybody else, think that they were more gifted, more important than anybody else. And Paul says, you need to fight that. That's not true. We are all part of this body. Everything that we do, whatever it is that we do do, is to be done for the furtherance of the cause of Christ and the edification of brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it might be easy for us to say, well, since the Holy Spirit works in people differently nowadays, we don't have the same sort of spiritual gifts nowadays, that those rules aren't really all that relevant in the modern day. But that's not true. You look around at local churches today, and more or less the same kind of scenario is evident. We may not have supernatural manifestations of the Spirit, but we still have people with talents. We still have people with skills, people who are excellent in one fashion or another. Sometimes those areas of expertise are public, sometimes less public. And in all these situations, the people who are excelling, maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're a song leader. Maybe you're a preacher. Maybe you're a Bible class teacher. Maybe you're a servant. Whatever it happens to be, you use that gift, whether it's publicly, privately, both, whatever. Use it in a way that supports the greater good, that supports the work of the Lord that's going on in your location. Other people are stronger because of your involvement in their lives. And whether you're the one who's in the spotlight or not, maybe you're the one who is holding the spotlight on somebody else, we need to all realize that we are all in this together, that we are recognizing excellence and utilizing that excellence, certainly, 
And when we are the ones who are being excellent, the ones who are doing tremendous things, we do that always in the context of helping other people. It's not about the haves and have-nots. It's not about great people and little people. It's about how can I best make music for the Lord? How can I best make this orchestra, this ensemble, as outstanding as I possibly can. If that means being louder, I'll be louder. If that means being softer, I'll be softer. Whatever it happens to be, I will do what I have to do to help us all. This is what I've been playing. In Maracaibo, you are a privateer, not a pirate. Why the distinction is so important We'll have to wait for another episode. Hopefully we can come back to this. You're a privateer. That means you own your own ship. You do your own business. You make your own choices. There are warring forces in the Caribbean. There's the Spanish. There's the French. There's the English. And maybe what you're doing today benefits the English. Maybe tomorrow what you do is going to benefit the Spanish. Maybe the day after that you're going to help the French. You don't have any real loyalties other than to yourself. You are taking care of number one. Do a little exploring, do a little fighting, do a little farming, a little trading. Build up a crew to help you in your enterprise, always making sure that you are on the winning side as much as you possibly can be. We don't play Maracaibo very often, unfortunately. In fact, it's been quite a while since we played it. I like it a lot. Tracy didn't like it quite as much. So it's very easy for us to play other games instead. And that's fine. I'm not complaining. Especially since Maracaibo is famous for its solo mode. An entire deck of cards is devoted to the solo mode. Everybody who plays it says it's great. That you don't need a playing partner. You don't need a game group. You can just get the game out and play on your own and have an entirely fulfilling time. A few problems with that with regard to me and my gameplay. One, I'm lazy. I rely heavily on Tracy to help me learn games and learn the right way to play games. That's her role. She's very good at it. I'm not as good at it. I am terrified that I'm going to learn the game wrong or get it real wrong and mess things up. And so I tend to stay away for that reason. There's also a very real sense in which I am complacent. I'm okay In my solo habits as is, I have a couple of games that I enjoy playing by myself when the spirit moves me in that direction. Maybe it'd be easier to just play those than learn another one. But the biggest part, I think, is the lack of connection. Since I haven't played the game very often, I'm not comfortable with it. And since I'm not comfortable with it, I haven't yet gained a love for it like I have for various other games. And because I don't have the love for it, I don't play it as often. And because I don't play it as often, I don't grow the love for it. Just goes around and round and around, and the game stays on the shelf. You may be saying to yourself, what does that have to do with me? So Hal doesn't get to play one of his favorite games as much as he would like to. Here's how it has to do with you. I want you to learn how to be a self-starter in your faith. I don't want you to satisfy yourself with simply being willing to go to work when other people are going to work. I don't want you to be satisfied with simply following other people's leads. Obviously, we always follow the Lord's lead, and there is authority that's given to us under Christ's overall authority. We're not talking about any kind of revolutionary behavior here. We're talking about taking initiative. Are you going to be willing to step up and do what needs to be done? 
including in situations where you don't necessarily get a whole lot of support. I don't know what the five-talent man or the two-talent man would have done if the one-talent man had gone to them and said, hey, I'm really struggling with how to use this talent. I'm deathly afraid I'm doing something wrong. Do you have any advice for me? Maybe they would have ignored him. Who knows? But it's worth a shot at least. Surely it's better than doing absolutely nothing. That's the one thing that you can't afford to do. We don't want to be caught sitting on the sidelines instead of working for the Lord. We want to be able to engage the battle because ultimately we're always going to be solo acts. We're always going to be working as individuals in concert with other brothers and sisters in Christ, certainly. We are surrounded by multitudes of help, including spiritual forces beyond our reckoning, beyond our knowledge. That's a wonderful thing. We can look at the Bible and look at the support that we get from our brethren long since gone. We oftentimes have help right down the street or even right down the hall in our family. What a wonderful thing that is. But let's not be reliant upon that. If my husband, if my father, if my preacher would only start us down this particular road, I'd be glad to go down that road. Why wait for somebody else? Why not go ahead and simply do the thing that you know needs to be done? Paul tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 10 to excel still more in that particular context in their love for one another. You know what the right thing is to do, and you're doing it. That's good. But do better. Continually strive for excellence. Don't simply be satisfied because you're doing something or you seem to be doing as much as the next person is doing. Always be pushing yourself. Always be challenging yourself. Don't be afraid to be the first one to act. There's a wonderful story told to us in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, a man named Shammah, who is one of David's mightiest warriors, who turns around in the midst of flight while the enemy is giving the people of God the business. And he finds himself in the middle of this plot of lentils, and for whatever reason, he decides, I'm not going to run any further. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to fight. And he is able to work a tremendous victory for the people of God because of that decision. Now, maybe that means that he himself fought off the entire posse of Philistines and won the battle all by himself. Maybe that's what it is. And I don't doubt that individuals have done remarkable things in the cause of Christ and that you can be one of those individuals. But I think a better explanation likely is that because he was courageous, because he decided to do the right thing, all these other people who were prepared to do the right thing, if someone else stepped forward, they stepped forward. Shammah was the first one. He worked the longest. He worked the hardest. But maybe he wasn't the only one. Maybe someone was emboldened by that courage. Somebody has to be the first one to act. You can be that first one. You can be temporarily a solo artist. You can be one who stands by himself or herself in the face of wickedness, in the face of cultural change, in the face of what would seem to be certain defeat. And before long, you turn around and you find out that you have a host of brethren beside you who are eager to follow your lead and to serve as examples to others. Someone has to be first. It might as well be you. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.